Thanks for joining the Church at Nolensville Sermon Podcast. We exist to engage the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. Anytime, anywhere, with anybody. Good morning. We're glad y'all are here today. If you're new, if you're a guest, my name is Wade Owens. I'm the campus and teaching pastor here, and we hope you feel welcomed and at home. We are in a series that we're kicking off right now called The Big Story. And last week, Ben Mandrell kicked off our story on creation. Didn't he do a great job? Let's give it up for Ben. Yeah, I love that we have some amazing communicators of the word of God. And he said last week, if you learn the big story, creation fall, redemption, restoration, then you understand the whole story of the Bible. The Bible isn't just about rules and regulations and don't do this and do this. The whole point of the Bible is about Jesus, that in the beginning, God made everything and it was good and it was perfect and it was beautiful, but sin came in and it broke it. But God didn't leave the world that way. He chased after mankind by sending his son, Jesus Christ, and he rescued and redeemed. But even though we're rescued and redeemed, the world still feels broken. Amen. But one day God is going to restore all things. So we're talking about the big story, creation, redemption, uh, the fall, redemption, restoration. And last week in creation, Ben told you, Hey, you're, you're created for more than just personal pleasure and projects that make us feel good about ourselves or the ladders that we try to climb. He said, hey, we're created for a purpose. We're created for a destiny that God has for each and every one of you. And we, we struggle. We struggle with contentment. We struggle with identity because we don't really fully understand the purpose that we were created for. But go back and listen to last week where Ben clearly said, no, you were created on purpose for God's purpose for you and for a unique destiny in your life. And that's, that's how it was created. That's still God's plan. But, but after creation, there, there was brokenness. And you can read about that in uh, Genesis chapter 3, which will be in just a minute. You can open your Bibles there. But in the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2... God created everything, and we believe God created everything good. The Bible says it wasn't just good. It was very, very good. There was no disease. There was no death. There was no sadness. There was no suffering. There was no tears. It was perfect. It was beautiful. It was God's creation. And Adam and Eve, our first parents, they, they were there, and they, they had paradise to enjoy. They had food to feast on, but no love handles. They had intimacy of relationship, but but no divorce or abuse. There was work, but no office cubicles. It was amazing. When God created the world, it wasn't just good. It was very good. And what's more, the Bible says that God was there. God himself was with Adam and Eve. Think about it for a moment. God walked with them and he talked with them, the Bible says, in the cool of the day, which means God did more than just take a stroll with Adam and Eve. I mean, we believe that happened, but the word walked with them, it describes intimacy. It describes this unbridled relationship and connection, meaning our first parents, when God created everything, they were fully known. They were fully loved and they were fully accepted just the way they were. That's how God created it to be. And this is what they had for a little while. 
And all of this, they got to enjoy, but with, with only one prohibition. So if you're new to church, or maybe you haven't been to church in a long time, or even if you're skeptical of church or skeptical of the Bible, that's great. We're glad you're here. But I bet you that you know the prohibition that Adam and Eve was given. What was it? Do you remember that? Don't eat the apple. That's right. God said, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They could eat everything else, but don't eat from that tree. You know, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, does it? God simply just says, hey, eat everything that you want except from this tree. Because if you eat it, you're going to die. Now, it's interesting. God didn't explain all the consequences of them eating from the tree. You don't find him giving this long explanation where he says, hey, if you eat from this tree, creation's going to be corrupted by sin. That the entire human race will be separated from me. They're going to be separated from their creator. Their bodies are going to suffer. Their bodies are going to die. That your disobedience is going to cause wars and genocide and famine and poverty and tears and misery. God didn't say any of that. God just said, eat everything that you want except this. He gave a very simple and he gave a very profound command. And see, I think it's because of this. Listen, church, God is worthy of our obedience because of who he is. Not not because we fully understand that God is worthy of our obedience just because of who he is. Not because we fully understand. Now listen, show of hands, how many of y'all are parents? Show of hands. How many of y'all know a parent? Show another hand. Yeah. Everybody on the same page. We want our kids to obey because of who we are, not because they fully understand. They don't have to understand why, even though how many of y'all as a parent love that, that word when your kid learns it? Why? 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 Then you say, because I what? You're like, I sound like my mom. They just need to obey. You ever try to have a philosophical discussion with a three-year-old over why they can't run in the street? When my kids were little, I tried that with one, get down on their level. Hey, now listen, this is why you don't want to run in the street. And I start unpacking all of it. I'm like, they don't get it. You know what? Come right over here. I showed them a squish frog. You see that? You want that to happen? You want that? They're in counseling now. It's fine. We, we want them to obey because of who I am or who we are, not because you fully understand. You don't have to understand. You just need to know me, trust me, believe in me. And God wants the obedience of our heart. He wants the trust of our heart. He, he doesn't just want the obedience of our hands. He wants us to trust him with our heart. We're never going to understand everything. He's God for crying out loud. But, but he wants us to trust him. And the question is, is we look at the fall today, brokenness. Is, is will our hearts trust and obey his goodness? Because sin isn't just the disobedience of our hands. It's, it's, the, it's the distrust of our heart. Where we don't believe God is good. We don't believe we can trust him. And, and Satan knows that, and that's how he attacks Adam and Eve. And so we're going to look at God's word today in Genesis chapter 3. And I want you to bring a Bible every week when you come. 
We preach from the CSB version here. We want you to have a copy of the scriptures. A lot of the scriptures I put up on the screen so it's easier for you to see, but I want you to have a word, the word of God and go, he's not making this up. This is God's word. And so we're gonna jump into Genesis chapter three. So Lord, today we love you. We trust you. We believe in you. And I know that a long time ago, Satan planted a seed of doubt on our hearts and that seed has grown and lives on today. But I pray, God, that you would create hearts of trust and obedience in here today that, yes, you created the world perfect, and yes, it's broken, but you have redeemed us, and there will be restoration one day. So speak loudly through your word as we preach it today in Jesus' name. And everybody said? So the issue is, do, do we trust that God is good? And, and Satan knows that, that he could plant a seed of doubt, and he tried to get Adam and Eve to, tr- to doubt God's goodness. So let's, let's pick up in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Now the serpent was the most cunning of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will surely die. No, you will not die. The serpent said to the woman, in fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan here is speaking through the serpent. And he's lying to Adam and Eve. And there's a couple of things that we learn about our enemy when we read this. Number one, we learn this. We learn that he's sneaky. If you look back at verse one, he says this. He says, did God really say? He's mocking God. Did God really say that? Are you serious? Man, God is, God is really, really selfish if he's going to withhold that from you. Did God really say that? So he's sneaky. Not only is he sneaky. But he's a liar. He twists the prohibition. God told them, you can eat of anything you want except this one tree. But Satan comes in and says, hey, did God really say you can't eat any of this? Man, this is a garden. This is paradise, really. It's amazing. How selfish of God to withhold all of this from me. Too bad you can't really enjoy any of it. Man, your God is withholding a lot from you. Listen, Satan tried to convince um, Adam and Eve that God withholding one thing is the same as God withholding everything. He tried to convince them that, hey, if God withholds anything, one thing, then he's basically withholding everything from you. So he, he lies to them. And isn't that how it still works today? That, that you and I are so quick and so prone to go, God, you never give me anything I ask for. God, you're always keeping things from me. And we always look at what we don't have instead of what God has already provided for us. It's, it started in the garden with Satan putting a seed of doubt in, in Adam and Eve's heart. Because Satan was after the heart of trust. He plants a seed of doubt in the hearts of man. And then those seeds grow to full-on unbelief. And Satan is wicked. He is very wicked, but he's also really smart. Because he doesn't go after God's existence. They walked with him. They talked with him. He doesn't attack God's existence. What does he go after? He goes after his goodness. See, that's the issue. The vast majority of the world believes in God. Believes in some form of a God. 
but very few believe he's good. And I can trust him with every ounce of my life, no matter what. And because I trust him, I'll do whatever he says, however he says it, because he's good. And the original lie from Satan into Adam and Eve, hey, God's not good and you can't trust him, lives in our hearts still today. God's just trying to put rules on you. You can't trust him. He's withholding stuff from you. He's not trying to provide life from you. He's trying to take life from you. He's this old furrowed, browed, you know, crooked nose, pointy finger old man who's trying to rob your joy. Why do you want to follow that? Satan put a lie in the hearts of Adam and Eve a long time ago. You can't trust him. And so our hearts believe a lie. What lie? If you obey God, you'll miss out. If you really want to enjoy life, then go enjoy life. But, but if you want to be some rigid Ned Flanders kind of weird person, then follow Jesus. Because there's no life to be found in belonging to Jesus. There's no life to be found in being a follower of Jesus. There's no life to be found in surrendering your life to be Jesus. If you want to go enjoy life, then go away from God. Satan planted that lie in Adam and Eve's heart years and years and years ago. And it still lives in my heart and your heart today. I don't know if I can trust him. I don't know if he's good. And the lie that God's not good is a stain that we all bear because of the fall. God, I don't know if I can trust you. God, I think I, think I need to choose what's best for my life. And then you know what? We lay awake at night, kind of an ache in our soul. God, there's got to be more to life. There's got to be more to this. There's got to be something else. And God whispers, yeah, it's me. I don't know. I don't know if you're good. No, come to me. I don't know. Yeah, follow me. No, I don't know. Because the, the lie lives in our hearts. Well, what happens next? Because he's tempting her. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, well, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at. And that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and she ate. When, when Eve believed the lie, she stopped trusting that God was good and she chased something else. Oh, it's delightful to the eyes. It's good to the taste. There's desire. So Eve took and she ate. Let me ask you a question, guys. Where was Adam in all of this? Where was Adam when Eve was eating this? Was he out in the yard? Honeydew list? Working in the garage? Where, where was Adam? He's right there. Adam is right there in the moment when sin was infiltrating and destroying the human race. He's standing there. Eve eats and Adam follows suit. A basic act of disobedience. Can I ask you a question? Can we be honest in church? Yes or no? Okay, y'all can. I don't know about y'all. Does it seem really evil? We're being honest, right? How evil does it seem on a scale of one to 10? They ate an apple. Does it seem really evil? Yes or no? No, it doesn't seem that evil. I mean, we're like, come on, God, they ate a piece of fruit. I try to get my kids to eat fruit. You know, it's not like we read Adam and Eve losing their mind, cutting down trees, crafting weapons and going and killing all the animals. Ah, baby, you know? Well, if they did that, like, oh man, they went crazy. Obviously, God had to do something. They ate a piece of fruit that they weren't supposed to. 
What's the big deal? It seems like a minor infraction. So why does God have to take this sin so seriously? Why does God have to take any sin so seriously? I'll share with you a little logic on why God taking sin really seriously makes sense. So think about it like this. When you sin against someone, the, the punishment that is deserved is, is always equal to the authority of the one you've sinned against. Let's say it another way. So when you sin against someone, the punishment you deserve is, should be proportionate to the authority of the one you sinned against. So we'll just take the sin of lying and carry it through different levels of authority. Show of hands, how many of you have ever lied before? This will get us all on the same page here, okay? So let's just say that as a kid, you lie to one of your friends in kindergarten. What's the punishment? Your friend may be like, I'm not your friend anymore, right? I mean, lying's a big deal, but the punishment's not that big a deal. Let's say you get a little bit older and you lie to your parents. What's the punishment there? They can ground you. They can spank you. We didn't get time out when I was a kid. We got knocked out, you know. <laughs> punishment's a little bit higher. Well, what about in college? What happens if you lie when you're in college? Do, do, do they spank you? No, they can expel you. Okay, well, what happens if you're before the Supreme Court? What happens if you lie before the Supreme Court? Do they tell you you're not my friend? No, they put you in jail. Why? Because the higher the authority, the greater the punishment. So let me ask you a question, church. How big is the authority of Almighty God? How big is the authority of Almighty God? It's not big. You can measure big. God's authority is infinite. The authority of the United States Supreme Court is like a drop of water in the Pacific Ocean compared to the authority of Almighty God. Why does God take sin so seriously? Because he's all there is. All authority belongs to him. And any sin against him is a major deal. And Adam and Eve ate. They believed the lie. They sinned against their creator. In essence saying you're not enough. You're not good. We'll take something else. And then in verse 7 look what happens. And the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. Their eyes were open and for the first time they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together. And then in verses 8 through 13, God calls for them. He comes back into the garden and he calls for them. And you read and they're ashamed because now they realize, oh no, we are naked. And God says, Adam, where are you? calls for the men. Adam's like, uh, I am naked, God. I'm naked. He's like, hey, oh, Adam, you've always been naked. Why do you realize it now? See, before, before they believed the lie and doubted the goodness of God and sinned, they were fully clothed in God's goodness. They were unashamed. They were secure. They were fully known, fully loved, fully accepted, fully provided for. That's who they were. And listen, as hard as it is sometimes for us to see our sin, 
Sometimes it's even harder for us to see our former glory. We were created by God to be in his presence, unashamed, fully known, no guilt, no shame, fully accepted just the way we were. But their hearts believe the lie. God's not good. And they sinned against their creator and then sin and brokenness entered the world. And now they've got guilt. Now they've got shame. Paradise is now lost. And you and I, we, we still feel that today. We still feel like something is lost, that it's not the way it's supposed to be. We still feel that sense, a sense almost that we need to cover up today. You see, if people fully knew who I was, they wouldn't like me. So I have to mask really who I am. So there's today even still a fear of being fully known. Because if you really know me, you're not going to love me. A fear that if, man, if my family and if my friends fully knew me, if my life was a complete open book before them, they would not love me. They would reject me. It's because, man, we've lost the clothing of God's goodness and protection. I mean, God's goodness allowed them to stand unashamed, fully known. And we were built to be fully known. We were built to be fully loved. And now we, we don't think it's possible to be both fully known and, and fully loved and accepted. So, so we hide. It's why we're constantly trying to cover up who we are. And you see it in little things. People ask you, hey, how you doing? What do we say? Oh, you know what you lie. What do you say? How you doing? Fine. How's life? Great. How's your world? Perfect. Because if you really knew what was going on in my heart, you, you wouldn't want to talk to me and know me or sit next to me. Someone shows interest and asks you out and you realize they're coming over to your house to pick you up and you realize my place is a mess. What do you do? Fly to the bumblebee, clean it up real quick, right? Men are really good at hiding how nasty they are. Some of you ladies who are married to a guy now, you're like, you know, when we were married, he always looked good, always smelled good, never went to the bathroom. What happened? It's because we're good at hiding who we really are. Why do some of you work and try to accomplish more than the next person in your office? Why do some of you obsess about your image? Why do we take 74 pictures and edit them before we put it on Instagram so that the perfect version of us is out there? It's fig leaves. If you really knew me, you wouldn't want me. If you really knew me, you wouldn't like me. I can't be fully known and be fully loved. So we're desperately trying to be known and loved. And in our best efforts, we fail. We fail. Just like Adam and Eve. God knows, hey, you can't, you can't cover your sin. You can't. So, so what does God do? God actually covered it for them. In the next few verses, God made a sacrifice. It's the first time in the Bible that blood was shared, shed. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Adam and Eve failed to cover up their sin. But God said, I- I'm not going to fail. Where you failed, I won't. Look, look at verses 21 through 24. 
And the Lord made for them clothing from skins for the man and for his wife, and he clothed them. And the Lord God says, since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out and take from the tree of life and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove the man out and started and, and, and oh, go back. And stationed the cherub and the, and the flaming sword whirling east of the garden to guard the way of the tree of life. God made a covering for their sin, but he still kicked them out of the Garden of Eden. He said, you can't come back because if you eat from the tree of life, then you'll live forever in this sinful, dying state. And God loves us too much to let us live in that state. So he sent them out of the garden. And mankind and God were then separated forever. They could no longer live in the garden. Sin had to be punished. There's going to be physical and spiritual death from this point on in the human race. Everyone. Hatred, war, disease, corruption, heartache. The ground's going to produce thorns and thistles. Childbirth would be marked by pain. Men and women would, would, would work by the sweat of their brow and they would have enmity and hostility towards one another. But we were created to walk with God and, and talk with God, fully known, fully loved, fully accepted. But never, ever again will man be able to step foot in God's presence by his own power. And then everything in this verse that we read screams, it's impossible for you, mankind, to ever enter back into my presence, God. You can't make your way back. If you're going to make your way back, someone else is going to have to do it. And in fact, the only one possible to do it is God himself. And the whole point of you learning the big story is, yes, there was creation. Yes, there was the fall. Man was separated from mankind. But there was redemption. God made a promise. God said, I'm coming for you. I'm coming after you. And the rest of the Bible is God declaring, I will make a way. I will come after you. I will move heaven and earth to make a way for you. Because there is a way back to Eden. There is a way for you to come back into my presence. But the problem of sin has to be dealt with. And you can back up to verse 14. And the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, you were cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put hostility between you and the woman. Now listen, what you're going to read next is the very first promise of Jesus. And between you and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This right here is God promising Jesus on the heels of the greatest sin that ever was, the sin that plummeted mankind into death. How did God respond? He responded with a promise. It's the first gospel. It's what theologians call the proto-evangelion, which says there's going to be the seed of a woman. Adam's not mentioned here. Because he's going to give his son Jesus to be born of a woman. And Satan, yeah, may bruise his heel. He's going to hang on a tree, but he's going to crush the head of that serpent. He is going to put sin and hell and death to bed forever. The first promise of Jesus' coming to be our rescuer comes on the heels of the greatest sin there was. How does God respond to fall and brokenness? He responds with a promise. And we know that Jesus came. Jesus came and he was crucified. He was buried, but he rose again. And when Jesus came, he answered the question, is God 
good. Because see, God told Adam and God told Eve, listen, if you obey me about that tree, then you and mankind will live forever. But Adam and Eve disobeyed. They believed the lie and that brought death. But God promised the rescuer and he sent Jesus and he told Jesus, hey, if you obey me about that tree, mankind will live again. And Jesus believed God and mankind now has life again. You could think about it this way. We ate from a tree and brought death. But Jesus hung from a tree and brought life. Jesus didn't deserve to die, but he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's because he died the death we deserved. He was placed in a grave, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, kicked the end out of a borrowed tomb, came back to life, now rules and reigns. He's coming back to get us. Romans 5 says it like this. He says, because of one man's trespass, that's Adam, Death reigned through the one man. But much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through one man, Jesus Christ. Through one man, death and sin entered the world. But through one man, Jesus Christ, life has re-entered the world. So Jesus dealt with a lie. Jesus dealt with the tree. Jesus dealt with our sin. He has reunited us back to God. And he's answered the question, is God good? And look, I know the language that, hey, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. That's been taken from our culture. I, I get that. But it hasn't been taken from the scriptures. Because it's true. There was creation. There is sin and fall and brokenness, and we are sinners. But that, that's not the greater story. The greater story is that there is also then redemption and restoration. And in the middle of our brokenness, Jesus is saying, hey, come in here. Come to me, I am the way, come to me and find life. But we push back and go, no, it's a promotion, it's money, it's this, it's that. And Jesus said, no, no, come here. Just breathe, come here. So Genesis 3 is it's a big part of the story. But it's not the whole story. Because Jesus made a way for us to be fully known, fully loved, fully accepted yet again. And I don't know what your past is. I don't know where you come from or what you've done or what excuse you would have to say to Jesus, I can't be loved. And listen, I have thousands. Even as a pastor today, I still think, even now, can you still love me? God, I'm miserable, y'all. Because that lie that was put into the hearts of man still creeps up. Can I still trust his goodness? Can I still trust his never failing love? And I don't know what you wrestle with, but I know this. When Jesus came out of that grave, he dealt with the question, is God good? And Jesus now has authority over all of our past which means your past doesn't get to define you anymore. Jesus does. Brokenness and the fall and sin doesn't have to define you anymore. Jesus does. Because the fall is a part of the story, but it's not the whole story. It's just a setup for the greatest of all stories, which is redemption and restoration. So here's what I want to ask you. Two things as we close. Let's put them up here.
Let's put the next one up. Two things I want you to think through. One, what lie do you currently believe right now that would keep you from walking in greater faith, from trusting and responding to Jesus? What lie do you believe? Two, where do you struggle to believe that God is good? Maybe you're a Christian in the room and you're like me and you feel like, man, you failed him yet again and his mercy really can't endure forever. That's a lie. It can, it does. Maybe you're not a Christian in the room. We're so glad you're here. But there's something that you've been told or something your heart is saying to you about why Jesus isn't enough. And I love you enough to say, the scripture says he's more than enough. And so we want to give you a moment to kind of wrestle with these two questions. So I just want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Make the space around you a holy moment. you're not a Christian today, why not? I would invite you to weave your life into the story, the greatest story of all, that there was perfection, but then there was sin, but Jesus has come to redeem and to save, and that includes you. And today, if you want to respond to Jesus, cry out and say, Jesus, with everything that I am, with everything that I have, I admit my sin and brokenness, but I call out to you as Savior, would you save me? And if that's you, there's a card in the seat back in front of you. I want you, like so many have done every Sunday up until this point, get the card in the seat back in front of you, right? I want to follow Jesus. Turn it in, and I personally will follow up with you. Our team wants to love and celebrate you. Why not today? But if you're a Christian, before we sing, what lie do you, you need to admit to Where are you doubting God's goodness? And I just ask that you'd admit it to him. And then when we stand in a moment and sing, sing from a fresh heart and with fresh faith.